Hello and welcome to this edition of the JNNP Podcast. My name is Colin Mahoney and I'm the JNNP Podcast Editor. Today we're discussing a research article in the current edition, Plasma Gliofibrillary Acidic Protein is Raised in Progranulin-Associated Frontotemporal Dementia. Joining me to discuss their paper are two of its authors, Dr. Jonathan Rohrer, who is an MRC clinician scientist, and Carolyn Heller, both based at the Dementia Research Centre, UCL Institute of Neurology. Carolyn is also based at the UK Dementia Research Institute. So a very warm welcome to you both. Um, and John, I might start with you. Um, I um, might start by asking you if you could tell our listeners a little bit about Genfi itself, uh, why it was set up and what its longer term aims are. Of course, yeah. So there have been lots of uh, centres uh, around the world doing familial FTD research for many years and lots of families being studied but this is a relatively rare disease and we realized about eight years ago now that we had to come together and collaborate in order to understand genetic FTD better. So GEMFI which is the Genetic FTD Initiative was set up initially just a few centers but now 27 centers across Europe and Canada All of these centers have expertise in studying familial FTD, and we really wanted to bring everybody together to organize a a standard platform for how we would study people, and really to focus in on how we might design future clinical trials for genetic FTD. So the focus has been very much on studying people with the main forms of genetic FTD, people with mutations in progranulin, tau, and C9 or 72, but with a real focus on trying to develop biomarkers to help identify the disease at its earliest stage, so during the pre-symptomatic stage, but also to try and understand how the disease progresses over time. And of course, the eventual goal is, is to be able to use these markers within clinical trials, which is around the corner at the moment. And I think these type of large cohort studies have led to a large surge of interest in both serum and CSF biomarkers to detect and track these neurodegenerative disorders. Can you explain to our listeners why it was you decided to examine levels of GFAP in those with genetic FTD? Yes, so um, we are trying to find ways of doing different things. So um, staging disease and working out when we might treat people, working out how there may be a response to treatment. And so we've been looking at at lots of different types of biomarkers, uh, cognition, imaging, but we've had a real focus recently on fluid biomarkers. And uh, we've done lots of work in neurofilament light chain and in uh, other biomarkers. And at the moment, we have biomarkers that change during the symptomatic phase. And we have some things that change a little bit during the pre-symptomatic phase. But we've got a real interest in trying to find um, markers that will tell us a little bit about whether we are about to phenoconvert. So what we might call proximity markers, things that tell us we're in proximity to symptom onset. So we're looking for things in general for that. Now, we've had a bit of a focus on different pathological processes within FTD. And we've done some previous work showing that there is astrocytosis in FTD, but particularly in some forms of it, including progranulin. And so to be able to try and 
measure that in vivo, we decided we'd focus, particularly in this study, on GFAT, which is a good marker of astrocytosis. So, Carolyn, um, you led a lot of the um, work on this study. Um, many of our listeners won't recognise GFAP as a standard blood test. Uh, can you perhaps explain how you identified samples for your study and, and indeed some of the processing techniques you used? Yes, yeah, sure. This was, of course, only possible with the help of all our GenFi collaborators who really helped to establish an amazing sample cohort of families with a history of genetic FTD. And our biobank where we store these samples is actually based in London, here in the UK. And any biomarker project we want to do as part of the GenFi study is first reviewed and then approved by a special GenFi committee. And for this project, we aim to include as many cross-sectional plasma samples we had available from pre-symptomatic and symptomatic FTD mutation carriers and also those who did not carry a mutation serving as controls. And across all the GenFi sites, we use a standard processing protocol to um, yield these biosamples, which includes drawing the blood from the participant in special tubes. So to yield plasma, these are the lavender top EDTA tubes and process these samples within two hours to avoid hemolysis. Samples are centrifuged at 2000 G for 10 minutes and aliquoted into 500 microliter volumes and then stored at minus 80 degrees until biomarker analysis. For this study, we chose to use an ultra-sensitive platform known as the Single Molecule Array or also SAMOA technology. And this enables us to measure highly CNS-specific markers such as GFAP, not only in the CSF of our patients, but also in blood-derived fluids, in our case, plasma. The Samoa platform is fully automated and also allowed us to measure multiple markers in one sample at the same time. Specifically for our project, we used the Neurology 4Plex A kit, which among other markers measures GFAP and NFL. And the Samoa technology works by employing magnetic beads that are coupled with antibodies designed to bind to a specific target when added to your sample. And upon the addition of a detection antibody, which is able to produce a fluorescent product, the aim is really to form an immunocomplex between the magnetic bead, your target analyte of interest, and the detection antibody. And prior to running the assay, um, we decided that we wanted to thaw all the samples at room temperature for two hours. We vortexed them to homogenize the samples and then centrifuge them for five minutes at 10,000 G. And this is really important because it ensures that any debris or fat is separated from the liquid part of the sample, as this can really interfere with the assay performance. And then we took 150 microliters, aliquoted this into a 96 well plate format and froze it until the actual day of analysis. On the day of analysis, all reagents, including the samples, need to come to room temperature before loading it onto the Samoa, and then the run can be started. So, um, so quite a lot of work goes into this. So I suppose that turning to the, the results of uh, after doing all that work, um, when you uh, did look at the levels of GFAP, what did you find in patients with genetic FTD? Here, I really want to focus on three main results that we found. Um, so firstly, GFAP levels were significantly higher in symptomatic progenulin mutation carriers compared to controls, but also the c 9 of 72 and MAP-T symptomatic mutation carriers. And we also found that GFAP was higher in the symptomatic compared to the pre-symptomatic progenulin mutation carriers. 
Secondly, we performed a receiver operating characteristic rock curve analysis, which measures the ability of GFAP to discriminate between two groups. And in this case, we want to distinguish the symptomatic progranulin mutation carriers from controls. And this analysis showed a sensitivity of 90% and specificity of 82% with a cutoff point of 163.2 picograms per mil and an area under the curve of 0.90. And lastly, GFAP concentration was positively correlated with age, both in controls, but also the majority in the mutation carriers. And we also found that GFAP and NFL concentrations were correlated across all groups, however, interestingly, actually to varying degrees. And I know that you also looked at other um, clinical features, including patients' uh, neuroimaging data and cognitive measures. Did you find any uh, significant correlations between GFAP and these other measures? Yes. So here I want to mention two key findings. Firstly, in the pre-symptomatic phase, we observed higher GFAP concentrations were correlated with a lower cognitive score. And in our case, we used the mini mental state examination score um, for this, but also with lower brain volumes in regions that are characteristically affected in FTD. And this was true for the progranulin and the C9-OF72 mutation carriers. And secondly, in the symptomatic period, higher GFAP levels were associated with faster rates of atrophy in the temporal lobe of progranulin mutation carriers. And in the same group, there was also a trend in relationship between GFAP concentration and atrophy rates in the singular cortex. And Carolyn, it was finally, with those uh, clinical correlations that you mentioned, what do you think are the implications of these uh, findings in our understanding of the disease pathology and also as a, a new test potentially to detect or track some forms of genetic FTD. Okay, so personally, I think fluid biomarkers will be imperative, um, not only for tracking disease progression and estimating symptom onset, as John has mentioned at the start, but also especially for clinical trials, as biomarkers will very likely serve as surrogate endpoints. And biomarkers can really help us give an insight into what is happening in the brain during the disease process and will allow us to assess whether therapies are sl slowing or halting disease progression altogether. Our results suggest that there are differential increases of GFAP within genetic FTD with concentration being higher in people with progranulin mutations compared to the other groups. And to really understand why this is the case, we need to extend our knowledge by looking at other research, including basic research of cell and animal models, but also post-mortem studies. And from these studies, we've really learned a lot. And for example, that progranulin seems to have a role of inactivating astrocytes, with evidence that progranulin attenuates a pro-inflammatory phenotype of astrocytes. And to me, this suggests that deficiency of progranulin in progranulin mutation carriers may lead to the activation of a pro-inflammatory phenotype of astrocytes and then subsequent astrogliosis with increased levels of GFAP expression. People with progranulin mutations show astrogliosis pathologically when observed at post-mortem, but also within areas of white matter damage, as can be seen on MR imaging, as white matter hyperintensities which has previously been shown to be unique to progranulin mutation carriers. The correlations we observed with GFAP imaging and cognitive measures suggest to us that GFAP levels start to increase as the brain starts to decrease in volume and as cognition starts to become affected. 
thus in the later stages of the pre-symptomatic period and probably in proximity to symptom onset. This would be an important biomarker for progranulin-related FDD as an increase in concentration from baseline during the pre-symptomatic period would identify a time around onset of neurodegeneration and potentially give us an ideal window of when we need to start therapeutic intervention. So just to summarize, GFAP is an important marker in progranulin-related FDD that may be helpful in tracking disease progression or symptom onset. Lastly, we are aware of the limitation of our study, and despite significant differences between the groups, there is still substantial overlap in concentrations between carriers and controls. Therefore, we are already planning a longitudinal study of GFAP concentration over time, particularly in participants that convert from the pre-symptomatic to the symptomatic status, which will be very helpful in truly evaluating whether changes do occur towards the end of the pre-symptomatic periods and also how levels change with progression of disease in the symptomatic period. Well, that's a great overview of your paper. And I really want to thank our contributors today, Dr. Jonathan Rohrer and Carolyn Heller, both from the Dementia Research Centre at UCL's Institute of Neurology. And Carolyn also uh, works at the UK Dementia Research Institute. I want to remind all of our listeners that this full paper is now available to download for free at the JNMP website. Thank you and goodbye.